0: Amen. 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 Yes, he does. Now, when I uh, say the word God and I say, how do you picture God? Some people would say, well, I picture him mad. He's always mad at everybody. Furrowed brow, waiting for me to make a mistake so he can stomp on me like a roach and just, just, just itching to send me into hell. Some people view God as just angry. They, they pull something out of the Old Testament. And they go, that's God. But what if I were to tell you that God was in hot pursuit of you? What if I told you he loved you so much that he's going to chase you down? If you don't know him, he's going to continually pursue you. And once you're his, he continues to pursue you, woo you, call you, invite you, coax you. He's out to get you, but not to get you into hell or or not to get you like, aha, you made a mistake, but no, he's out to get you blessed. He's out to get you into relationship with him. Amen. So I want to read out of Luke 19 verses one to 10. Thank you, Ron. Didn't Ronnie do a great job. I love those horns. Yeah. Amen. Um, Luke 19, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, let me zip right through it. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up and shocked Zacchaeus because he said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. You never know what the Lord's going to do, right? So all of a sudden, he's not only seeing him, but he's headed to his house. Now, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased, oh yeah, of course they were he has he's gone to the be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled, Meanwhile, you never do anything really good for God. somebody's not going to shoot you down or try to. There's people that walk around with erasers, they want to erase everything good you do, but you know what? you never let the sour critics stop you now let's go on he says he says um They grumbled, and meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, for I have, and if I have cheated people, and he had, on their taxes, he had, nothing new under the sun, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man, I want everybody to read verse 10 with me. For the Son of Man came and to seek and to save those who are lost. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Speak to us, Lord. Call us, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's in pursuit of you. He really is. Now, this powerful story in the Bible, it's a true story, um, reminds me of a poem written in the mid-1800s by a man named Francis Thompson, and he called this poem, The Hound of Heaven. Now, Francis Thompson was born in a very well-to-do house. It was a Catholic family, and he was raised well, but he was frail. He was sickly his whole life. He, he just had all kinds of physical problems, physical issues. And so his parents very much wanted him to become a priest. Well, he went to school to be a priest and decided about halfway through, this is not for me, I'm not a priest. Then he thought, I'll go be a doctor. And he went to medical school and dropped out of that and said, that's really not me. I'm not really supposed to be a doctor. And then he said you know what I really want to do is I want to write. And so he told his parents, I want to be a writer. And his parents said, what do you mean a writer? They don't make any money. We'll be supporting you the rest of your life. You're going to have to take a vow of poverty. What do you mean a writer? And he said, but that's my passion. That's what I want to do. And so he had a falling out with his parents and he left and he moved into London in the mid 1800s. He was living in London when Jack the Ripper was moving around London doing his thing. And Francis Thompson, being sickly and not being able to make decent money, fell into the street and became addicted to opium. So before long, he's a drug addict. And he's having to make his way on the streets. He became homeless. And he began sleeping on the shore of the, the river, uh, T-H-A-M-E-S. It sounds like Thames, but it's Thames, the Thames River. And his life just began to spiral down into the abyss where he finally saw no future. I'm a drug addict. I have no no career. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Where am I gonna turn? It's over for me. I can't get my physical well-being together. And it was at this low point in his life that Francis Thompson began to be pursued by Christ. People began to come up to him and tell him about Jesus. In his own mind and heart, he couldn't quit thinking about the Lord. And so the Lord continued to pursue him and to speak to him and to knock on the door of his heart until it was like a good haunting and he couldn't shake it. And one day he turned his life over to Christ. And when he turned his life over to Christ, he began moving back up. And in time he was delivered from opium. And he began to write, which was his passion. And he wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. And this poem is called one of the greatest works of literature in the English language. He died when he was 47 years old. But the last 10 years of his life, he wrote things that glorified God lifted up his name, and the hound of heaven made its way into the English vernacular. So you've probably heard the phrase, the hound of heaven, referring to Christ, because he wrote it about the way the Lord relentlessly pursued him until he finally gave in and said, come into my heart. God hunted him down, kept on keeping on approaching him. And his whole message, as a matter of fact, the great preacher C.H. Spurgeon even preached a message on this poem, The Hound of Heaven. It's his own story of being utterly lost yet relentlessly pursued by God and finally found. How many of you today can say there was a time when the Lord was after me. Everywhere I turned, there was Jesus sending somebody to talk to me. I couldn't get him off my mind. You know, thank God for the mercy of God. Thank God for the grace of God. Thank God that even when we're his enemies, he pursues us. Amen. And in the story of Zacchaeus, Uh, we likewise see a man being pursued by the hound of heaven in the pages of the bible we see a savior that was always reaching always searching always beckoning always inviting always calling always approaching the lost always approaching those that were in a desperate situation he was always looking Jesus himself said of himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost, the verse that we read at the end. And I want that verse to stick in us because I want you to notice. He said, I didn't just come to save the lost, I came to seek them out. I came to pursue them. I came to approach them. I came to invite them. I came to rescue them. When Jesus Christ was sent into the world as God's only begotten son, folks, it was a rescue mission. He came to a planet under siege where there was millions and millions of people lost in their sin. And Jesus undertook a rescue mission and he began to seek out and save those that are lost. And Zacchaeus was one of them. As the great hound of heaven He approached all kinds of people, you'll see in the Bible. There were the down and outers, he approached them, prostitutes, crippled people, beggars, the lame, the blind, lepers, people that nobody wanted anything to do with. Jesus sought them out and he found them and he approached them and he invited them and he healed them. And he delivered them. I'm so glad to know we talk a lot about the devil bugging you half to death. But let me tell you something. That Jesus will will bug you in a better way. He'll come after you in a better way. He, He is a greater pursuer than the devil is to our soul. He also reached the up and outers. People who were outwardly successful, but they were inwardly lost. And Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was one of these. He was an up and outer. And they're everywhere. We see people in nice homes, driving eighty hundred thousand dollar cars, wearing expensive clothes, all the trappings of material success, and yet their lives are wrecks. Their lives are disasters. Because something is missing. Money will never fill the God-shaped hole that is in every soul. Money will never do it. You can, try to, you can try to make money work for you or material things work for you. But it will never fill the God-shaped hole that is in every soul. Because that God-shaped hole was made only for the God that shaped it. That made it. And that made you and me. And nothing will satisfy until we rest in his arms as we just sang. Now, this story of Zacchaeus is one of my favorites. Uh, several things jumped to me out of this story. And let me tell you what they are. First, the intense hunger we see in Zacchaeus's heart to see Jesus. The intense hunger. He was not apathetic. He was hungry. Something was going on in this man's soul. He was rich. But the riches that had come from scamming and embezzling people through his profession. He was rich unjustly. He was rich by being crooked. And not just being a tax collector, but the chief tax collector, believe me, he was not invited to everybody's party. He was hated by the common man, this man Zacchaeus. Uh, So he moved in high society amongst an elite, wealthy circle of people. Everybody else, the common folks, the middle class, lower middle class, lower class, they didn't want anything to do with him. He was despised by them because they knew he was cheating them. He had a nice house, nice things. He lived a plush life. But Zacchaeus was a sinner who somehow knew that something was missing deep in his soul. It is that indefinable irritation and awareness that people get where they say, there's got to be more. This can't be all there is. Why would rich people, highly successful people in the eyes of the world check out, take their own lives, drown themselves in drug addiction and alcoholism. Why? Because something is missing deep down in their soul. They don't know how to put their finger on it. They don't know how to define it, but something is missing. And they are, they are literally dying to hear the message of Jesus Christ. So when he heard that Jesus was going to be passing through town, we see that Zacchaeus' inner hunger drove him to search out the Savior. When he heard Jesus is passing by this way, it's a wonderful thing when Jesus passes by. I felt Jesus pass by this service today. I felt him walking through the service today. It's a wonderful thing when Jesus passes by. And when he passes by, brother and sister, we better take full advantage of it when he passes by. The Bible says that Zacchaeus was short and most of the crowd that had gathered to see the, the approaching Jesus were taller than him. Yet so great was his yearning to see Jesus that he shook off his dignity, pulled his pant legs up, and shinnied up a roadside sycamore tree in hopes of a clear view. Can you imagine this? A rich, distinguished uh, uh, who's who of the community shinnying up a tree like a boy sitting on a branch waiting for Jesus to pass by. You don't do that unless something has grabbed hold of your soul. And you know, for some reason, I don't know why I've got to see him. I've got to hear him. I've got to get near him. I've got to find out who this Jesus is. I want to make this culture that is spiraling down into the abyss of confusion and depravity. I want to make them so hungry for Jesus, they'll climb up a tree to see what we're talking about. But what drove Zacchaeus to do this? I mean, come on, Zach. What are you doing, Zach? Everybody sees you up there. You look silly up there in that tree. What's driving you? Why this intense curiosity to see Jesus? Well, by this time, Jesus' ministry was almost complete. In just four chapters from now, he's going to be crucified. Most of it's over. Now, Zacchaeus being a public man, a very public person, he had no doubt heard about many of Jesus' miracles and many of the incredible things that Jesus had taught. And, And with every passing report, his interest accumulated Until nothing was more important. Than catching a glimpse of the passing miracle worker. I got to see him. I want to know about him. I want to get near him. I want to see a miracle myself. I want to see what all the to do is about. I wonder if you're experiencing a hunger like that today. Those of you watching right now. Online. Those listening later by radio. I wonder if you have that hunger right now. Last week. After the first service, a young man came down to me. Or actually, he asked to see me. I was already back in uh, my office. Uh, we were waiting for the second service to start, and I was told a young man wanted to come and uh, meet me. He had come all the way from North Dallas to meet me. Uh, actually, Plano. And so I said, sure, I'll meet him. I came out, and here he was, sharp-looking guy, well-dressed, successful-looking, He was 27 years old, and I met him right down here and he said, Pastor Jeff, I just wanted to come and put a face to the voice, because I've been listening to you for a number of years now on radio, and I really felt I was to come and tell you my story. Well, what is your story? And he said, I was deep in the drug culture, and I was sleeping around, and I was living a life of sin, and one morning... I got into my car and I was looking for a radio station to listen to, rock and roll, no doubt. But he ended up turning to a station where he heard about the rock that doesn't roll. (laughs) Amen. And he said, I tuned in and it was your show. And he said, I froze, listening to what you were saying about Christ. I froze. And every morning after that, When I got into my car, I made a beeline for your program. And he said, in time, I gave my heart to Christ. And he said, since then, I've listened to everything you've preached since 2012. I've listened to all of your archives. And he said, now I minister to young adults at a Bible church in Plano. And he said, I want to thank you for reaching me with the word of God. And he wept and he shook as he told me this. And I want you to know, it just said to me all over again, there is a real hound of heaven. There is a Jesus who is always seeking out souls. There is a Christ who cares about you. And guess what? He still delivers from drugs. He still delivers from alcohol. He still delivers from sin. He still changes lives inside out. I told that young man, you made my day you probably made my week. I wrote a little uh, a little post about it and it's got right about 6000 reads now. And people are saying what a what a great story, what a wonderful testimony. But folks, we need to have testimonies like that every day. We need to understand that you and I are the exporters of the hound of heaven. We are the light. We are the salt. We are the tellers of it. We are the testifiers of it. We are the validators of it. Uh, he touched me, so having touched me, I am to reach out to others that he might touch them. Now, the, the, the second thing that jumps out at me about this story is Jesus immediately, with all the crowd around him, the whole town was there, but Jesus immediately focused On Zacchaeus. When Jesus came by, he looked up. Why do you look up? He looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. Jesus not only knew of his soul's hunger, he even knew his name. He knows your name. He knows my name. He knows our address. He knows when we were born. He knows when we will die. He knows us inside out. There is not a a thought in my mind or a word on my tongue that he does not know it from far away. He knows what I'm going to say before I say it. He knows what I'm going to think before I think it. He knows where I'm going to go before I go. Zacchaeus, Jeff, John, Bill, Sue... Judy, he knows you. He knows your name. If you don't know him, he knows you. The hound of heaven had instantly picked up on the scent of lostness and of a hungry heart. And he, he honed in on it. Zacchaeus must have been completely and totally shocked, taken back, when Jesus not only said something to him, but called him by name and said, today, I'm coming to your house. Let's go. Now, before we continue, I want to clarify what lost means, because the church has gone so far down, folks, that we don't even talk about these things anymore. We don't talk about the gospel in a lot of churches. We don't talk about being lost, about hell, about heaven, about the need to be born again. No, we just give motivational seminars to people. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said, my sole mission was to come and to seek and to save what was lost, so, so what does lost mean? What does lost mean? Does that mean you don't know where you are? Does it mean that uh, like somebody lost in the woods? Or does it mean like somebody lost in thought? What does lost mean? How are men and women lost? Because Jesus said, this is why I came. It's a rescue mission. I came to seek you out and to find you and rescue you from lostness. So what's lost? Well, first, lost is in a verb tense that means once and for all done. Once for all done. It's something that's done. In the past, it's done. Totally done. So it's a finished thing. So somewhere back there, we were lost and it's done. And the word itself means doomed to destruction. It doesn't mean, I I don't know where I am, I'm lost in the woods, somebody give me a, you know, Uh, a compass. No, no, no. It means you're doomed to destruction because of your lostness. That's the message of the gospel. Mankind became lost, doomed to destruction when the first couple sinned. Not when Eve sinned, but when Adam, the head of the human race, sinned. When Adam sinned, it says in the Bible, Romans 5, verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Why did everyone sin? Because we were born with a fallen nature that sins as naturally as we breathe. So he says, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those that are doomed to destruction. What kind of destruction? Destruction eternal destruction forevermore destruction separated from god and from his glory for all eternity Uh, eternal destruction when we die we are not just annihilated we just don't cease to be but we have eternal souls that are going to go one place or another heaven or hell eternity with god or eternity without him can you imagine being in a place for even one day where the presence of god is nowhere to be found That's lost. That's why it's a rescue mission. That's why Jesus was willing to die. That's ground zero where all of us became lost is when Adam sinned and ate of the fruit. We were, we, we, we right then and there were doomed to destruction. But Jesus said his mission was to seek out and save from destruction those that are lost. Aren't you glad he came to rescue the lost from destruction? Come on, everybody. This is why he died on a cross of pain and shame. Jesus died for you and me. He died in our place. He paid the price for our sins with his own blood. No one else did that. Muhammad didn't do that. Buddha didn't do that. Confucius didn't do that. No religious leader in history ever did that. Jesus hung on that tree and he bled for you and me. And when you look to that cross and to the Christ on the cross and ask him to come into your heart, your sin is washed away and removed as far as the east is from the west. Amen. He died in our place, paid the price for us and made the way for us to be saved and to one day enter heaven's gates. And you and I are gonna go through heaven's gates not because we're good looking, not because we were successful on earth, not because we made X amount of money, not because of our pedigree, not because of any personal charisma, no, not because of our own good works. We're gonna have one thing to say, his blood covers me, his blood covers me. And God will say, enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on, his blood covers me. What I love about Jesus, is he didn't care what race you were. He didn't care what you looked like, whether or not you had money, what your social standing was, whether you were male or female, young or old, educated or not. He didn't care. He loved people. He pursued people. Our Lord, my Lord, your Lord touched the untouchable, loved the unlovable. And never one person did he turn away that came to him, no matter how bad their case was. He loved them. In 1934, a British magazine told the true story of young Prince Edward in a visit he made to a small hospital where 36 hopelessly injured and disfigured veterans of the First World War were tended. Prince Edward stopped at each cot, shook hands with each veteran, spoke words of encouragement, but he was conducted to the exit. He noted uh, that he had only seen 29 men. And he said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I understood you had 36 patients here, and I've only seen 29. The head nurse explained that the other seven were so shockingly disfigured that for the sake of his own feelings, he had not been taken to see them. The prince insisted that he must see them. He spoke to each of them. He thanked each of them for the great sacrifice they had made and assured each that it would never be forgotten. Then he turned to the head nurse and said, wait a minute, there's only six men. Where's the seventh? And he was informed that he was not allowed to see him. Blind, maimed, dismembered, the most hideously disfigured of them all, he was isolated in a room from which he would never return alive. The nurse said to the prince, please don't ask to see him. But the prince, Prince Edward could not be dissuaded. The nurse reluctantly led him into a darkened room. The royal visitor stood there with a white face and drawn lips, looking down at what had once been a fine man. But now was a horror to see. Then the tears broke out. And under love's impulse, the prince bent down and reverently kiss the cheeks of that broken war hero. Dear church, hear me. There is one who has stooped far, far lower to kiss a far, far worse ugliness. Not the physical disfigurement of a broken hero whose brokenness called forth reverent gratitude but the leprous, evil, ugliness of corrupt sinners in open rebellion against his great love. But the good news is, Jesus insists on seeing us. Are you with me? He said, no, no, no. No disfigurement of soul is too much for me. He insists on seeing us. He insists on reaching us. And can I just take this a little further? Take a little poetic license and tell you that on the cross, he bent down and kissed us. And said to the whole world, I love you more than words can tell. I love you and I want to keep you from hell. I love you. How many of you are thankful that the Lord didn't turn away from us? Come on, everybody. He didn't turn away from us. The story closes with Zacchaeus being saved. He became a saved man. I want you to notice how he did it. I know I'm talking to the choir. Most of you are saved. But I have a reason for going here. So listen carefully. I want to show you how he was saved. First, it says he received Jesus joyfully into his house. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, says Christ. Revelation 3, verse 20. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, like Zacchaeus opened the door of his own house and opens the door of his heart, I will come into him and fellowship with him and relate with him and have relationship with him and he with me. So Zacchaeus said, You got it, Lord. You're coming to my house. I'm opening the door. And he received him. But it didn't stop there. He repented of his sins. Telling Jesus, Lord, Lord, I give you half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And when Jesus saw that, he said, that's true repentance. That's the fruits of repentance. He really means it. He's not just saying it. He's not just giving lip service. But he is turning from his sin. He's admitting it and he's quitting it. He's admitting it and he's walking from it. He's admitting it and he's turning from it. He repented, genuinely repented. And it was at that point that Jesus said, today, everybody say today. Today. I love this. Today, salvation has come to this house. This house. Amen. This house. Salvation has come to this house. And, and, And so note, he received him, he repented, and he looked to him. And when Jesus saw the genuineness of it, Jesus said, you're saved today. Zacchaeus, you're a saved man. You're not only a rich man, but you're a saved man. And Jesus reached his soul. Now I want to share this message for a couple of reasons. One of them is obvious that maybe there's just one person in here today who doesn't know Jesus, but he's been pursuing you and you know it. You know how you know you know it because you know it in your knower. You know it in your knower. I remember the Lord pursuing me. Oh, man, I I could not turn without somebody talking to me about Jesus. Now, I got saved in jail, as I've always told you, at 16 years old. But with time, I didn't know I should be in church. I didn't know what I should do, where I should go. And there was a little time period there where I kind of drifted. And everywhere I turned, Jesus sent somebody to tell me about Jesus. Jesus sent somebody to tell me about himself. I could not escape him. If I went here, he was there. If I went over there, he was there. If I made my bed in hell, he was there. If I sprouted wings and flew to the uttermost parts of the earth, he was there. I could not escape God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There is no getting away from you. And he pursued me. He pursued me. He pursued me. Did he pursue you? Amen. Now, I want us to understand that our nation is in a terrible situation, a real, real crisis. And if you don't know Jesus personally, one way to really begin to turn the nation around is by one person at a time being saved. First of all, has he been pursuing you, chasing you, beckoning to you? inviting you if you know it you know it in your knower i remember one day i just finally said you know what i give up i quit white flag i'm yours lord because i knew i knew he was in hot pursuit of me and i knew that may not always go on but i needed to take advantage of the grace of god while it was being extended and not turn the grace of god away it's very important when he knocks you open when he calls you answer It says today, that day, that day Zacchaeus' household was saved. Not just him, but it it implies others in the house. That day, today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Do it now. Second reason is I believe that the only answer for America... And I mean this. I'm not being religious. I'm not embellishing. I'm not saying something, you know, beyond reality to to kind of grab your attention or, or, or to be fantastic in what I say. I'm telling you the truth. The only answer left for America is the gospel. That's it. The gospel. That's it. That's the only, it's not going to come. Listen, there is no answer in the Democrat party. There is no answer in the Republican party. There is no answer in Washington. There is no answer in government. No, we need a sweeping move of God. A sweeping move of God is the only thing that's going to change America. A sweeping move of God that is totally sovereign, where the Lord blows his spirit across the land. And people are convicted of sin and welcome Jesus into their heart. And the wickedness that has found a way into our nation is subdued and broken and snapped and destroyed and driven back by the power of God. There's only one answer. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. That means everybody else is not a Jew, which means most of us. The power of God. The the gospel contains the power of God. The greatest change agent in the world is the gospel. So I'm sharing this today because I want to awaken our church to becoming gospel talkers, gospel walkers, gospel sharers, gospel preachers, gospel tellers. We got to get out there and just start sharing. Listen, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him would not perish, but everlasting life. You can memorize that in two minutes or less and get out there and share it with people. Because when you share the gospel and when I share the gospel, the hound of heaven is working with us and all they can say is no and walk away. But when they say yes, like that young man and God changes their heart. Look how the kingdom of God was advanced. Now he's teaching young adults. Now he's sharing the gospel and the word of God everywhere he goes. So the gospel is being spread and the kingdom of God is being advanced through one young man lost in the drug culture who got saved. I want you to stand with me today, would you? Everybody say, hound of heaven. Oh, I'm so thankful for the hound of heaven. I'm so thankful he sought me out. I'm so thankful he persisted. If you're thankful today, can you raise your hands and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you today. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't turn me away. But when I was terribly disfigured in a life of sin, you insisted on seeing me. now with our heads bowed for just a moment I just want to ask there may not be anybody there may be one there may be more if you can say today Jeff I'm not so sure that I have ever opened the door like Zacchaeus did the door of my heart the door of my life the door of my house to Jesus and yet I know that he's been pursuing me knocking inviting beckoning approaching to bring me to himself and I sense it even now you can say Jeff that's me I want you to raise your hand right now and just say I'm not going to embarrass you but raise your hand high where I can see you God bless you God bless you God bless you I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer and I want us to pray this prayer together if your hand is raised pray it with me right now say Lord Jesus I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. I ask you, like Zacchaeus did, forgive me. I repent of my sin and I invite you into my house, into my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.